Bridges to Bailey, back to Bridges, once more to Bailey, now it's Bridges, here's Bailey, oh my, Bridges, Bailey, Bailey, Bridges, and they scored! Last play of the game, 98 yards to go, and these boys ain't got no more hope than a pig in a parlor. Pitch goes to the right, defense closing in, and he's floating. He's in the air, a human being is taking flight, he's flying to the 50, the end zone, touchdown! The piggies have done it, I turned, I turned, I turned, the piggies win! Oh, sacré bleu, il est fort sans pied. Il utilise ses mains. Sans pied? Un honte, un disgrace. Oh, what's this? He's thrown it back. This could change the sport. A terrible day for fishing, a great day for the fish. This is Apocalypse Sports Radio. And now your host, Shane Ryan. Yep, 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 yep. Apocalypse Sports Radio, episode number nine. Hey, this is where it gets real. We are so close to double digits, and it looks like we're going to get there unless something truly terrible happens to me. Call me selfish. I hope it doesn't. All right. Hello, everybody. What a show we have for you today. Daniel Rappaport of Golf Digest is here to talk about the match, a shockingly fun production from this past weekend. Spike Friedman is back with another very offensive Spike's take. Maybe the most offensive yet. You'll have to judge for yourself, but it's up there. And Felix Hasselsteiner, a real live German who works for, bear with me, Süddeutsche Zeitung, Munich's largest daily newspaper, is here to talk about Tuesday's 1-0 victory for Bayern Munich over Borussia Dortmund in one of the Bundesliga's biggest rivalries, Der Klassiker. We're going to explain what all of that means, I promise. Oh, and of course, as always, we've got trivia. Before we get there, you know it's coming. A quick pitch. The Apocalypse Sports Network is only $3 a month. And for that mere pittance, you get two podcasts each week and five blog posts delivered to you. It is fun. It's obsessive. It would be a welcome addition to your day if you love sports. To check out some of the written content, go to apocalypsesports.net and browse the free posts. And if you like it, sign up there or at patreon.com slash apocalypsesports. Now, just to clarify, when I say the content will be delivered to you, I do not mean by me personally. You will not have to deal with me at your doorstep each morning. Uh, unless you want it, uh, in which case I will, but that's $4 a month. That's not a $3 a month service. All right, let's do this thing. We're going to start with Tiger, Phil, Peyton, and Tom Brady. It's the match. Let's go. Segment break. Daniel Rapoport is one of the hot young writers at Golf Digest, and he wrote a great piece that went up Monday about everything that worked so well with the exhibition known as the match. Daniel's here to talk with us now. Daniel, what's up, my friend? How are you? Shane, good to see you. Been a while. I think the last time I saw you was uh, in Florida before everything went crazy. Just before the world ended. We saw it off together in lovely sawgrass. It was uh, like years ago. A completely different lifetime. Uh, all right, Daniel, uh, I wrote a post last Friday. Thankfully, it was behind a paywall. But basically, I was outlining all the ways in which the match was going to be terrible. It was going to suck, this and that. And I, I was very specific. I went through each element and how it was going to fail. And as is so often the case when I write something about Tiger Woods, here I am today, forced to eat crow. This thing was really great, and I'm still not exactly sure why. So that's the first question I wanted to ask you. What made this thing work? Well, I, now I feel like I should have read your piece about why it shouldn't have worked. But no, I mean, I, I think there was just a level of casualness or or it was self-aware it didn't you know the, the first match is, is sort of what i compare it to naturally just because tiger phil the first one being um at shadow creek 18 months ago in las vegas 
it just felt very staged and very canned. Like they were trying to make it a very serious thing. Mm -hmm. They were trying to jam all these betting statistics down our throat. And the $9 million prize just kind of rung hollow because it wasn't their own money, number one. And number two, these guys are both have hundreds of millions of dollars. So it, and nine million is a lot of money, but for them, it, you know, losing that kind of money, especially when it's not yours, yeah. not that big a deal. So I think you you remove the, um, the 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 $9 million aspect, which just kind of seemed a little bit tacky. And so you have no money. There was no money involved. So it was just the only money was just trying to raise for, for COVID-19. Sure. So there was no like rich get richer aspect. And it just seemed like they didn't take anyone too seriously. So I think Tiger and Phil are, are more comfortable around each other now than they used to be. So their banner was really good. And then the other problem with the match uh, the original one was you, you rely on two guys to carry the whole broadcast. It was mm-hmm. just Tiger and Phil and Tiger gets quiet. It's just his nature. Like when he, when he's trying to actually win, he gets quiet. Yeah. And so yeah. Phil trying to have one way banner doesn't really work. Having Peyton and having Brady added two other elements that were, that were, that really worked both of them, but in different ways. Peyton is just a really funny, awesome guy. And I think everyone likes listening to him talk. There's yeah. it's no coincidence that all the football broadcasts want him in the booth so badly. He just, he has it. He's charismatic. He's a great storyteller. He's really good comedic timing. And then the whole Brady saga of Brady being so terrible, hitting shanks and then holding out from the fairway. <laughs> I think yeah. people really, I think people really enjoyed seeing Tom Brady be relatable and actually suck at something. I mean, his pants um, ripped at one point. Just, his pants ripped. His pants ripped. <laughs> like he was kind of, a, he was kind of a mess and he was, really frustrated and we've all been there you're playing terrible you know the group is kind of moving on without you and and you can't help and you're frustrated and then you do something good and all of a sudden you can talk so i just think it felt much much less of a a force down our throats it was much more casual and it just kind of felt like you were dropped in as a fly on the wall to this legendary foursome and i think that's people that's what people wanted they want to hear these guys tell stories and it just felt authentic and it didn't feel so forced yeah, I think that's beautifully put. And you called it a lovely mess, which I thought was a really a really nice turn of phrase. Um, and one thing that you said, Daniel, that, that I also noticed, uh, first of all, yeah, the banter we saw in the first match and then the banter, even with Rory and DJ's thing, it, it did come off force. Like, these guys aren't comedians. Like, it's not going to be that great. But I think the way you put it, I mean, watching them teach, uh, watching Phil Mickelson kind of be a mentor to Tom Brady all day, that's so much better than cracking jokes. Like, because it opens up their brains for the rest of us to kind of like, oh, holy cow, like, this is what they know. And this is what, this is what it sounds like when they actually, like, uh, you know, open that font of wisdom and, and give it to somebody else. And to have a bird's eye view for that was way better than any kind of like, you know, uh, banter could be, right? And I think that's also what was kind of missing from Seminole from the match before. Mm-hmm. We had all four guys mic'd up, but they didn't really talk about the golf shots. And there's only there's only so many half-assed like, oh, I've won this. What have you won? You know, make jokes about old putts or whatever it is. But you want to hear these guys, the, the best players in the world, especially Tiger and Phil, two of the, I don't know, 15 best players of all time, you want a, a window into their genius. And, and we got that. And Justin Thomas, I think, ushered that in really well. He knew that what these guys have to say is interesting. So on, I think it was the second hole, it might have been the third hole, when he walked up to Phil. And instead of trying to say, oh, he's got to carry it over this ridge and check it up while it rolls out, he asked Phil to walk him through it. Mm-hmm. And it was just perfect. It was, it was a window into Phil Mickelson. This is an all-time short game artist walking you through his exact thought process and then executing it to perfection. He hit yeah. it to like two awesome. inches. Um, so yeah, I, I think that if you offer golf fans best players in the world talking about their thought process, what they're trying to do on every shot, that versus staged banter, they're going to choose the, uh, the, t- the tutorials every single time. 
All right, so here's what I wrote about Justin Thomas on Friday, Daniel. I said, and the same is true for Justin Thomas as an on-course reporter. He's not trained for that spot, and it will be painfully awkward at best and worse by magnitudes if he goes for laughs. So there's a, <laughs> there's an incredibly wrong take. Because, like, I mean, as you wrote, uh, the consensus was he was fantastic. I couldn't believe how good he was. Yeah, he was really good. He wasn't just funny, but sort of the X's and O's of commentating. Like, he had perfect rhythm. He didn't have the ums or you knows. He knew how to take a toss from the booth he knew how to toss it back to the booth and you can just kind of see why this guy hangs out with michael jordan and tiger woods he just gets it he's another like peyton he's a charismatic funny guy with good comedic comedic timing he was the perfect one because he's friends with both of them but he's young enough where he can sort of give them crap for being old and he's played a bunch of golf with them and he's a member of medalist and he was the perfect guy for the job so i think uh Good for him for doing that. Good for his management for exposing him to that. I think he gained a lot of fans. I mean, the ratings were huge. Yeah. So there are definitely people who, oh, Justin Thomas, he was the one who was on that broadcast. I'm going to root for him now. Um, so good, good strategic move on their part. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, it almost is like they read your article before and just all wanted to prove you wrong <laughs> as much as, as much as they possibly could. Like I said, it's behind a paywall. And so, yeah, I'm just very great because the cold takes exposed would be all over me if they could read that. Um do you think this is the kind of thing... Okay, so we've seen a couple of these. This was by far the best. Can they learn from this and duplicate this in future exhibitions, or is this lightning in a bottle? It's a good question. I've been thinking about it because I've seen people go both, both ways. On one hand, yeah, the, the numbers speak for themselves, but you have to look at the context, right? First, there was no other, no other sports going on. Right. Uh, and you had Tiger, Phil, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. It's kind of the perfect, it turned out to be the perfect blend. Yeah. Um, you have those, if you have those guys back again, you know, the sequel is usually not as good as the original. Um, so I don't think that would be quite as good. If you have two other celebrities, I'm, I'm struggling to find guys who have the name recognition that those two guys who are also kind of in the right range golf-wise, like they're both between, I don't know, six and 12 handicaps to the point where you could legitimately see a shank or you could see them hold out a shot. And we saw both of those. If you have a really good player, like Steph Curry is someone who comes to mind. Yeah. It's just not that cool to watch like a scratch or two handicap play golf because they're not quite bad enough where you can like give them crap for being bad or make jokes about how bad they are. Cause then yeah, it's just kind of yeah. awkward, yeah. but they're not good, but they're not good enough where they're a professional where you're like, wow, that's an awesome shot. You know? So there's just, there's just kind of there. Yeah. Um, and then the, you go the other way, you know, with, with Brady stinking so bad on the front nine, I think it would have gotten old if it was the whole way, but the fact that he actually hit one in the hole and then made a couple putts, that was good too. So you don't want a terrible golfer who's just going to hack it up the entire time. So I, I, I do kind of think it was lightning in a bottle in the sense of there were no other sports. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think as, as much as I want this to be uh, a sign of a, of a new era for golf broadcasts, I just think it was the perfect storm of A, an actual storm, which I think added to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. B, you have the perfect mix of those four guys. C, no other sports on. And D, there hadn't been golf for a while. I think if you have an exhibition in between two PGA Tour tour events, it just doesn't have the same luster. So uh, great that they did it. And, and if there's another pandemic, then I'm, I'm sure they could do another huge numbers again. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't extrapolate too much from just one broadcast. The way the personalities meshed is just still remarkable to me. Even as I was watching it, it was like, this is amazing. I laughed like crazy when Brady, um, you know, we hold out in number seven. And he's like, all right, it's my turn to talk now. Because Barkley had just yeah. dissed him. And I was like, oh, here we go. And then he goes, hi, mom. Hi, dad. I love you. 
<laughs> like even Brady's, even Brady's sort of like plainness worked. And and on each team, you had more of a personality. Like you said, Tiger likes to get quiet, but Peyton picked that up. And then Brady really isn't, you know, Brady's pretty like straight faced guy. But having Phil talk to him, it's like, yeah, whoever cast them, first of all, deserves an award. But also, I think it is kind of a, a happy accident when the chemistry is so good that way. Yeah, the chemistry was just awesome. You have to think when they walked off the course, hopefully they all shared a beer and were like, yeah, that was a really, really good show. Because when that stuff's happening and things are clicking, you, you know it's right. I don't know what, yeah, whatever it was, I think just the four of them and when Tiger got quiet, then Peyton kind of picked up the the mic and, and Phil was yapping the whole way and Phil was a good sport about it. And it just really worked. And I, and I think uh, I, I'm glad because it, it's nice to have something that is universally positive. You know, not a lot of people hated on this which in the golf media scape is is almost unheard of yeah and people want to i mean it was it was far easier for them to fail than it was to succeed i think i was i was ready <laughs> I, yeah, I, but that's sort of what i was getting to earlier which is like the one in vegas it was very hateable mm-hmm. right i mean it's two guys in las vegas with this whole gambling thing shoved down our throats both worth hundreds of millions of dollars playing for millions of dollars just that's like a lot of people can be like, you know what? Screw you guys. This, this, this feels very unnecessary. Yeah. But this was, you, you have you have everything. And then you also have, it was under the scope of, of COVID-19 and of the fundraiser. So you really, you know, you can't take that much issue with, with the impetus for them all playing together. It wasn't just a money grab. So this is kind of a perfect storm. Uh, one last thing, Daniel, looking, I wrote something today about uh, different TV innovations that maybe could help live live golf and improve the broadcast. And I was thinking about this even before, but the way the interviews worked and the interactive part of the match, um, along with just having the players mic'd up, what is realistic that we could take from that, uh, looking at future PGA Tour events, not just exhibitions? Um, what kind of things could they do that are similar to this without completely screwing up somebody's focus when they're playing for real money and real position? They've experimented with in-round interviews. I, I just don't think maybe on Thursday and Friday those would work and guys would be willing to do it. I just don't think crunch time that they'll be willing to do a back and forth with a reporter on the golf course. But the mic'd up stuff is something that we've all been talking about for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Having these guys mic'd up, the problem with that is is cursing, really. So it's like right. yeah, the, yeah, model, yeah. the model then would have to be something along the lines of what football does when they have players mic'd up and then they have a production crew off screen kind of going through all of the audio and seeing what would work and showing it. And they come after with it. Yeah. Is, yeah, it would come after the yeah, fact. Yeah, yeah. But that kind of isn't as good as, as right in the moment. But I think there is something there with, with the interactions because these guys are talking nonstop yeah. to each other, to their caddies. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think we might, I think having players mic'd up is not unrealistic at all and, and, and might actually be something that gets put into motion pretty quickly, having seen how successful it was during this broadcast. Yeah, and my thought even watching the match was, okay, yeah, I had this thing with like, oh, yeah, we should do mid-round interviews. But in fact, that was maybe like the least kind of appealing part of that production. The best part was the mic'd up interactions. So it kind of re- it changed a little bit how I thought where I'm like, okay, well, obviously we've seen mid-game interviews in basketball and football and things like that. And a lot of them are duds. Probably the majority are duds. And so, I, yeah, I started thinking like maybe that's not the angle to go. Like you said, maybe it's the the conversations we want to get a part of. Um, you probably remember at the Masters a couple years ago, Spieth and Greller talking on number 13. Uh, there was just like a, I think it was only on the Masters online coverage, but it was just two riveting minutes of them figuring out how they're going to get the ball onto the green. And that kind of thing mm-hmm. is like gold. So the, I feel like the more of that that there is, the better. 
Yeah, and sometimes you get like mics that are just happen to be there and pick up those conversations, and they always seem to be really compelling. Um, another thing I thought that was really cool about the broadcast was just calling people who weren't on the broadcast and talking to them. Yeah, like maybe the timing of the Russell Wilson wasn't great, but they were super aware of like Brooks Kepka and 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 they got him on the phone really quickly. And just think there are a lot of these rules with broadcasts where it's like we have our broadcast team and that's who we're gonna. But if something's happening, there's there's some tweet that's blowing up on social or someone tweeting about the action. Get them on the line. Like make use of all this technology that's available to us. It's not that hard to get someone on a broadcast. And we saw that this weekend. Brooks Kepka tweeted something. I don't know if that was planned. Maybe it was. But, you know, 25 minutes later, they had him on the broadcast. I just don't think it's that hard. And I think we need to loosen our definitions of what a broadcast looks like, what a broadcast team looks like. That's right. And, and start featuring the conversation because it did kind of feel interactive, the whole thing, didn't it? Like it felt like yeah. the people, the producers, whoever it was, were paying attention to social media. They were paying attention to their audience. They were incorporating it into the production, which I think is got to be the future of broadcasting. You know, we, we can't just ignore the things don't happen in a vacuum. They don't just happen on the broadcast. They happen and there's a whole conversation surrounding it. So I think trying to incorporate that as much as possible would, would be beneficial for everybody. Yeah, and what I liked, it didn't feel condescending, which I think is rare. Uh, it felt like they really understood social media and were engaging with it in a way that wasn't like, hey kids, look, a tweet, you know, <laughs> or like some yeah. kind of thing like that would just sort of be insulting to us in a way. Totally, yeah, no, they they someone they, they got it. Whoever, yeah, whoever was absolutely. in charge understood it. And that was that was good stuff. Daniel, thank you very much, man. A pleasure talking to you. Shane, hope to see you again soon. Segment break. All right, I have one, exactly one billionaire benefactor. And rather than give $3 a month like most other people, he gives $6,000 a month. And believe me, that's really nice. But part of that is he insists on coming on each week on the podcast and giving his own opinions uh, on the world of sports. And, and that's why we have Spike's Takes. Uh, Spike Friedman, he's the benefactor, and he's here now. Spike, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's an honor as always, Shane. It's a privilege to come at you from the yacht. You know, we are deep. We are deep in the blue sea, as it were. Because, you know, it's difficult being on a yacht and quarantined. I can't get my golf game in, you know? Oh, that is tough. Yeah, from being on the... I, I, and I keep trying to come to shore in various ports of call that are known for their golf. Right. You know, Scotland. Uh, that's the only one that's so the far. Only I've one been, I've been know, mostly yeah. trying to to ford my yacht into Scottish soil. Oh. And so you'd, you'd actually have yet. your people try to carry the yacht? Well, uh, I, I throw them overboard and I say carry it, and they're like, it's way too deep. It's wildly too deep. Um <laughs> So I can't get I can't get even more than the six hole course that's on the deck of my yacht played. Gotcha. Oh, that's tough. Now, last time, speaking of going ashore, you mentioned you were going to dump some infected crew members into Madagascar. Uh, any update on that? Uh, I have uh, blocked any and all emails or correspondences from Madagascar. What I always say is, once I leave a port, I'm gone, okay. and I ain't ever coming back. You know, <laughs> daddy, daddy got a roll. So you never go back to the same place twice. I, you know, I find that it really saves me a lot of legal fees to never go back to the same port twice <laughs> under almost any circumstance. But, you know, I, I like, I like it. I get my, I've been getting my golf Jones in watching the match too. Oh, that was okay. pretty exciting for me. And that's, that's my take of the that's week. That's going to be the take. Okay. Yeah. Who should be in the match 
three. And for oh. me, you know, you got to go with big names. For sure, you got to go with just like huge names if you're going to do this again. And so for me, I go with my two heroes uh, for the match three because a lot of people have been pitching names. A lot of people have been pitching names. But everywhere you look, people have got ideas. But Michael yeah. Jordan, people say Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan, Steph Curry, ugh, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. I don't care. Okay. Right, give me my heroes. All right. My number one favorite all time golfer because of his style, Payne Stewart, and my all time favorite president, Ronald Reagan. That is who I want for the match three. Okay. Sp- Spike, hey, uh, I got some bad news for you. What? Uh, on both fronts. Uh, Payne Stewart um, perished in a, a plane crash a long time ago. Ronald Reagan has been dead for uh, for years. Neither of those sound right to me. No, they're definitely they're definitely both dead. Uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry to if this all is right, tough right, for no, you. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I guess uh, I guess you got to grow up sometime. All right. All okay. right. All right. Uh, so hold on. Okay. 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 Let me go with the two greatest actors of our generation okay, you know like, i'm talking yeah. paul walker star of the fast and the furious films and Heath ledger star of the dark knight those guys you get them on a golf course that is electric energy you got you got spike just like amazing what spike they're both dead they're both dead paul walker no, i believe in a car crash Heath ledger overdosed they're both both of those men are also dead you're no paul walker paul walker Heath Ledger, I'm sorry if this is hard for you to hear, but the four people you've mentioned so far are all dead. All right, all right. Okay, okay, more more dream duos. More dream duos. You got Michael Jackson. Dead. Robin Williams. You got the two kings of comedy on the golf course together. Both of those men, Spike, are dead. Robin Williams recently committed suicide. Michael Jackson also dead. I, I feel like I really want to help you here, but you just... This must be hard okay, for you. Well, you know, but I, I get what the problem is. Men die young statistically. We got to go with two ladies, and you go with the two greatest ladies of all time. You go Margaret Thatcher and Joan of Arc. Okay, well, like Margaret Thatcher's been dead. Joan of Arc's a medieval person. At this point, I'm starting to doubt your sincerity. You had, you- <laughs> what are you talking about? I want the match three to be heroes. Okay, think of the witty banter you would be getting from Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, uh-huh. and Joan of Arc, who heard from God himself. Imagine Joan of Arc on the third tee at the TPC being like, God told me to hit a fade here, and then she hits a draw. Like, that is great television. She, uh, Are you kidding me? And what do you think, Margaret Thatcher? What kind of banter would you expect from her? Oh, my God. Just like, uh, I'm, I'm Margaret Thatcher. Well, that would be you good. Know? That would be good. Yeah. Uh, look, Spike, they're both dead. Okay. I, I want to give you more <laughs> shots here if you want them. Okay. I don't want to push We'd you. Whitney Houston and Marilyn Monroe. Dead. Dead. Come on. <laughs> what? No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally, just name one living person. That's all you have to do. Uh, okay, okay. Let me rack. Let me rack my brain. Uh, Richard Nixon. Nope. Okay, hold on. All right, all right. I'll go back. I'll go back. Don't uh, go back. Go the guy forth. from Fountains of Wayne. Oh, he and... just died from COVID. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh my goodness. That one you can't have expected me to know. No, but it's it is highly specific. A celebrity that just died. I want to know Avicii? why. Avicii's still alive, right? Who? No, no. Avicii, the techno singer, is dead. 
Now, why? Just to test your sincerity, what is it about Avicii that you think would make a good performance well, I mean, in the look, match? If, if you get a guy who took a pill in Ibiza and you put him on a golf course, you don't know what is going to happen. You put him on a golf course next to Kurt Cobain, you've got a level of drug use that is unparalleled in the history of golf, and that's what I want to see on television. Kurt and Cobain. if you can't get either of those guys, at least give me Hunter S. Thompson. Kurt Cobain, of course, also dead. Hunter S. Thompson dead by self-inflicted gunshot wound. Spike, I I, I think we should start to wrap up here. Okay. It's just oh, not no, your no, day. Okay, 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 okay. Hey, Philip Seymour Hoffman. God. And Gary Coleman, you have our two greatest diminutive actors on the course together, just fucking slamming balls, getting it done. I think at this point, you know that both of those men are dead. Aaliyah and John Benet Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be good. I don't see any yeah. problem with those. You know what I mean? You get John Benet out there, young yeah. beauty queen. Well, actually, that's your first one that is not definitively dead that, that you mentioned. Good, thank God. Yeah. Oh well, uh, that like, means that that means that whatever wounds I inflicted on John Bidet were not fatal. Oh so my God, good. Jesus! <laughs> All right, Spike. Uh, I think it's time to leave you to your yacht. And we do appreciate Freddie the Mercury and Princess Diana. No, all right, we're gonna go. We're River gonna... Phoenix and Bob Marley. Spike Friedman, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Irwin and Bernie Mac. Break. Oh my goodness, let's bring it back down to earth just a little, shall we? Uh, let's do Apocalypse Sports Trivia. All right, last week's question, which I will reread here, was this, and it starts with a quote. I spent a lot of money on booze, birds, and fast cars. The rest I just squandered. This quote was uttered by the only man from Northern Ireland to win the European Footballer of the Year Award. Perhaps not surprisingly, he died in 2005 at age 59, due to complications from a liver transplant made necessary because of his chronic alcoholism. Name the player. And the answer, uh, for those who follow soccer, is George Best, uh, really terrific Northern Irish star. I actually was in Belfast recently and saw some murals of him that are still painted in the Protestant neighborhoods of, of West Belfast. Really cool. Uh, and so Chris Wurst was the one who nailed that one. Chris, uh, Twitter name, Chris Wurst. Uh, looks like he's a Duke fan. Chris, congratulations. And uh, yeah, enjoy your recognition and your fame, my friend. And with that, let us move on to this week's question. Apparently, uh, there's something weird with me and, and death and war <laughs> and all that stuff that attracts me because we have another themed one. And this one may not seem like a, uh, like a sports trivia question, but believe me, it is. All right, here's the question. Vodang Phong was a colonel in the Army of the Republic of Vietnam who spent the entirety of the Vietnam War fighting against the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army. After Saigon fell, he was placed in a re-education camp at Ho Ling Son Province where he died in 1976, a fact that one American friend who fought beside him wouldn't discover until the late 90s. What was Colonel Phong's nickname? All right, so if you know that one, shout it out to me. You can email apocalypsesports24 at gmail.com, or you can come on Twitter, probably a little easier, and I am Shane Ryan here, H-E-R-E. Good luck. Segment break. On Tuesday, Bayern Munich defeated Borussia Dortmund 1-0 in a rivalry match known as Der Klassiker, which this year had huge implications in the Bundesliga, Germany's top domestic soccer league. Here to discuss that match and that rivalry with us is Felix Hasselsteiner, Sports writer for Süddeutsche Zeitung, Munich's largest daily paper. 
Felix, awesome to have you on, sir. How you doing? Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So uh, the eyes of America are on Germany now, Felix, and we don't know what the hell we're looking at. Uh, so uh, today we watched Der Klassiker. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm probably mangling that pronunciation, but um, really quick. So you're you're in Munich, and you before you became a journalist, you were a, a Bayern Munich supporter. Um, tell us a little bit about the importance of this rivalry, uh, just historically and, and currently. Oh, you know, historically, it's always been important, but I think in uh, in the last 10 to 15 years, it was really big. So there were two phases, actually, you know, there was a historic rivalry in the 80s and 90s and 70s that has always been there because it was just, you know, the two clubs are very different uh, in their whole fan scene and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you had around the, the year 2000, 1995, 2000, you had this big rivalry with Fort Dortmund winning the Champions League and then Bayern Munich winning the Champions League in 2001. And then obviously Dortmund went into a crisis uh, in the mid-early 2000s and uh, then they came back very strong with Jurgen Klopp in, in 20, 2011 and 2012 winning the, the German Championship and that sort of got Bayern started to where they at now. So in Munich always people say that the only reason why Bayern has won seven league titles in a row is that Dortmund won the two before them and, you know, sort of kick-started it by, by being the big guy or be, the, being the guys to beat. And uh, so, so there's, there's been a tremendous rivalry in, the, in, in recent years with Bayern, you know, being, being ahead in, in the last uh, five to six to seven years. But um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was cool. You know, it's always been, it's always been an interesting, interesting thing to, to watch and sort of uh, kept, kept the Bundesliga uh, going, even though Bayern, Bayern clearly was better in the last six years. Now this will show my ignorance, but how close are the two cities? Uh, they are like, who tough to give you a, a kilometer. It's like a, it's like an eight hour drive. Okay. So you know, it, it's quite a lot for Germany because they're in very different areas. So, you know, Munich, Bavaria, very uh, rich uh, kind of. You know, always been always been a privileged area. And then you've got Dortmund, which is like in the in the western part of Germany, which has always been you know coal miners and very hardworking people, very uh, strong West German ethics, and uh, you can feel that in this rivalry. And you know, they're very different. Uh, uh, set of fans that are following the two clubs, and and that's that's what always been what's always been special about the rivalry. So you're and, you're the uh, yeah. you're the fancy boys, and they're the hardworking uh, industrial. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of <laughs> we're the fancy boys. Nobody you know nobody likes Bavaria in Germany in general, okay. and especially the Western people. They always say they are Bavaria. No, look at them. But it's uh, both parts of Germany are economically quite strong. Mm -hmm. But you know Dortmund is always coming from the perspective of being the hardworking low. Uh, Low, lower income guys who are fighting and you know Bayern has always been the fancy rich club um, yeah and so what I learned last week uh, in my crash course on on Bundesliga is that Borussia Dortmund and Schalke have a very famous rivalry is is it possible to say one is bigger than the other I mean Borussia is Borussia versus Bayern just because they're both really good lately uh, and the other one's more of a geographical historic one or how does it work well you know uh, the Dortmund Schalke rivalries is very close, closely and personal in the way that those cities are right next to each other, and it's like a territorial thing. Right. Uh, well, as uh, Bayern and Dortmund has always been a 
Ort thing, you know? I mean, those were just two clubs who were really good at football and, or as you call it, soccer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dad. I had to get that in. You know? No, no, no. Um, I'm really, I'm one of the more pretentious Americans. I call it football. No, I don't. I <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> no, so, so that's always been a, a, a thing of, you know, um, those two clubs uh, were always connected through the sportive competitiveness and uh, not so much as Dortmund shall through the territorial uh, territorial thing. Now, okay, a couple more general ones before we get to this match. Yeah, uh, sure. A team like Bayern Munich, um, are they like uh, a New York Yankees-style team where if you don't like them, everybody else in the country hates them? Yeah, you could say that Bayern Munich is a little like, a, in general, New York-based teams. I mean, I don't know so much about U.S. sports, but... Basically, uh, the Yankees are loathed. If, you don't, if you're not a Yankees fan, they, people loathe the Yankees because of a history yeah. of success and a perceived elitism or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could say that about Bayern Munich, that, you know, it's like... Uh, it's just like, you know, every every country has this spot where it's just, uh, you know, they've always been good and that's why you hate them. Yeah? So you yeah. grow up, when you're not from Munich, you basically grow up uh, hating Munich, except for Bayern, uh, you know, uh, your dad was a Bayern fan or something uh, out of some, some um, you know, constellation. But in general, um, Bayern is a very, is a club that you either really like or you don't like at all. Yeah, so there's enough reasons to hate buying. You know, they <laughs> the uh, money. They always yeah, like the like the Yankees. You know, like all the New York guys in the yeah. US, and they sort of uh, like to tell everyone how much how much better they are. Oh, so uh, that's Munich. And, that's uh, Munich in Germany. Is sort of like uh, like yeah, there's nobody else like here. If you can make it in Munich, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but you know. Okay, um, yeah, as, I'm just as, I'm just as, borrowing as, New York <laughs> things now. No, but it's, it's, it's kind of the truth, you know, Munich's yeah. a, a very, um, uh, I don't want to say rich because it's, it's not that nice of a thing to say, I think, but, um, they've always felt like they're, they're more elite in, in, in some way. And, uh, that, what, yeah, that's what got them a lot of hate, uh, from, from all over Germany. Yeah, that's fascinating. And how, how has it changed? So you were a Bayern Munich fan growing up and we were talking before, you know, being a journalist changes that a little bit. Do you still hold some love in your heart or can, are you allowed to admit it? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because I grew up as a, as a diehard Bayern fan and I was really, you know, I was one of the guys in the, in the center of the fan area and streaming my heart out, you know, when we, I, I'm still saying we, when I tell and I talk about the team that won the Champions League in <laughs> yes. 2014. Um, no, because that was that was special. I mean, you know that for my generation, I'm I was born in 1995. Uh, that was sort of the moment that you know everything got into. And I was I always say that I was a fan of the generation of, of Philip Lahm, Bastian Schweinsteiger, and those German players. And right. I was growing up with them. So when they, uh, you know, when they stopped playing, I sort of. I sort of lost it a little and, uh, you know, then becoming a journalist uh, and, and reporting on Bayern more and more and reporting on soccer in general, you, I think you, you need to lose the love a little and it's good to lose it a little because you need to get some distance in between you and the club. And that's worked well for me. I still enjoy it. I still, sometimes I do favor Bayern. Sometimes I don't like Bayern anymore, but, um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, you can't know things. When you're a journalist, you know things a little too closely. And it's, you, it's going to destroy that childlike love you have for any player, any team, no matter what. Uh, so, okay, you just watched this match. Uh, exactly. Your, 
your your boys. Uh, I'm gonna still call them your boys. No, but Bayern won one nil. It was a really big match in terms of who's gonna win the Bundesliga. Um, my opinion, uh, Felix, was this was a pretty fun match to watch. Now that's an inexpert opinion. Uh, you just watched with a couple friends. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I actually watched it uh, with a, a colleague of mine, and we were both agreeing that this probably, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a, 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 a table mapped out of all the uh, games without, um, without uh, people watching it, ghost games as we call. Them. I don't know if that's a, if that's a phrase. Um, I but, like it. Um, I think it was probably one of the most high quality ghost games ever played, because you've got two teams that you know, are right up there in the European elite. And it was an incredible game. You know, it it, yeah. it doesn't feel like it when you watch it without uh, chance and, and, and the sound of the background noise, but it was extreme high quality. You know, you, there were there were no long passes. It was all short play and uh, extremely risky from, from both teams in part and a really fantastic game to watch. Yeah, now that's interesting because in America, uh, Fox Sports One is piping in artificial crowd noise, so they're not—they're not doing. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not joking. <laughs> and it, I gotta tell you, if they didn't do it the first weekend, and it's way better. Even though it's weird, it's way better with the fan noise. So when you watch oh, wow. it, when you watch it, it's just the silent. I mean, it's just the sound of what's actually happening there. Yeah, it's the sound of what's actually happening there, and you've got you know, obviously you've got Thomas Müller, who's mm-hmm. one of the Bayern players. And he's famous for being very loud. You know, he's a very, very, uh, <laughs> yeah. he's a player who, who just shouts around a lot. And so you always hear him at the moment. And it's crazy because you, sometimes you hear him call, you know, call out the other player and tell him where to go. And it's really <laughs> funny. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, but it's, it's, you know, we had this debate in Germany about um, uh, uh, fan noise in the background that is artificially placed. And I think there's a way that I could watch it with artificial fan noise. But I've sort of decided to not to do it because, you know, we in Germany, we think of ourselves as uh, soccer purists sometimes. And yeah. so yeah, um, yeah. everything that's artificial is 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 not possible. But well, I sure would love to watch it on, on Fox News. Um, <laughs> that must be great fun. It, it's interesting. Yeah. And I've watched it both ways. They quickly, I think they got a lot of complaints or not maybe complaints or comments after the first week. Like this feels like a scrimmage uh, or like a practice without, without noise. Yeah. But what's funny yeah. is they clearly have somebody who's mixing it live because so there's songs and there's chants, but if somebody comes close to scoring, they'll be like a oh, like type thing. And then they'll cheer for a goal. But yeah, the one goal today uh, when Byron scored, they just had the fans keep singing. Like they didn't even react to the goal. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was like the Dortmund fans singing their song. And it's like, they had no awareness that a goal had just been scored. Uh, oh, and so it's, it's kind of like funny when the guy isn't quick enough on the, on the button. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this league that all of us are following now. Um, I know this is First a real- of all, it's great that you're following it. We love it over here. I mean, <laughs> yeah. everybody's like, everybody's going crazy because, you know, I've got my Twitter timeline that is now full of US guys and you guys are following our sport for the first time in history. <laughs> this is, it's I cool. love it. You know, I, I started watching English soccer maybe two or three years ago and then more seriously just last year. And uh, I really like, yeah, the German soccer is fun. I would like to think that it's, it maybe will carry over and I'll watch it, you know, ne- next year when every when I have more options, uh, I'll continue yeah. to watch it. But, but it's a little like being stuck on a desert island with like, you're like I don't really want to date this girl, but she's the only girl exactly. here. Now, yeah. when I go back to the world, will I still keep seeing this girl? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, we had uh, Byron's boss, uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, um, 
Uh, and he, two weeks ago, when the Bundesliga started, he said that, you know, the eyes of the whole world will be on us. Mm-hmm. And everybody in German went in Germany went like, ha ha, sure, Kali, you know, <laughs> nobody's going to watch our crappy little uh, soccer <laughs> games. Yeah? And then we were all like, shit, everybody's watching it. <laughs> He's actually right. Yeah. <laughs> and the first time in history that, you know, all the uh, sort of uh, cool, fancy leftist uh, fan base, you know, was like, ah, uh, capitalism is not going to win, you know, they're still going to follow their own sport, even though there's nothing played. But well, shit, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Just wait until 25 years. The Corona generation of Americans will come of age and it will be all kids watching German soccer right now who become our great, yeah. world, who become yeah. our great world cup squad. Maybe probably. Yeah, not. exactly. The U S is going to win the world cup in like 20 <laughs> years or something for, for, for Corona. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's well. it. Um, if we still have a world by then in a functioning society. Yeah, probably. Uh, if you so, still got a country, but that's a different topic. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. Looking at the table, it looks like I know there's there's a number of matches left. What is there, seven or six or seven matches left? But yeah, this was, I know mathematically it's not over, but this seemed like it was an enormous win for Bayern. Is this basically wrap it up for them uh, in first place? Or is are there still some doubt there? Well, they're still playing. Uh, the, they're still playing Gladbach, Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, and Freiburg. I think so. It's four teams that are uh, on ranks four to seven mm-hmm. on the table. So it's not, you know, it's not that easy of a of a uh, of a of a, of a program uh, on the, on the next game days. But still, this was a very big win because you can calculate with Dortmund also not winning every game that is left left to play. So I would say that, you know, six points in seven games uh, is, or seven, seven points in six games, I'm sorry, uh, is, is quite a lot. So yeah. it could be pretty much decided. Still, it's going to be interesting because Bayern on, in two weeks is playing uh, Leverkusen. And that could be, if they, if they make it through that phase now with, uh, with, with sort of the, you know, next best team group uh then uh then it could then it could be through so yeah yeah. well we're gonna keep following it uh last question for you i i think this shows i I don't know if it shows how nice germany is or if i'm just a sucker but even watching german soccer in the commercials they have a bunch of tourism commercials it really makes me want to travel through germany let me get this for you put you on the spot if i could only go to five cities in germany rank them for me could only do five go from five to number one Oh boy, that's a different question. Um, you can do three if three is easier. No, I can do five. Let me just think a little. So uh, on position five, I'd probably put something like, uh, so, you know, I'm actually Austrian. So, you know, okay. so um, from an Austrian perspective, always the south of Germany is more interesting, but you would definitely need to go to something like Heidelberg because okay. it's like a very traditional German city. I'd say I'd put that on five. And then on four, um, some little town in Bavaria, something close to the border with Austria, where you got the view on the mountains. So let's put out there something like Regensburg, something in that area, little town. Okay. Google it. Yeah. Have fun googling it. I will. Uh, I gotta live vicariously <laughs> through Google right now. And then you've got those free big cities in Germany. You just need to see. You've got Hamburg. I'd say on free. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great city, harbor town, you know, very cool people. Yep. Then you've got Berlin on two, clearly from a Munich perspective. I can't put Berlin on one. And uh, then Leipzig at number Berlin, one. Thank you, you very much, Felix. It's, it's like, 
cool and artsy. So yeah, uh, music, I need to put it on number one because it's, uh, yeah, as I said, it might be a little, it might not be the friendliest city at first, but get to know it and it's going to be cool for you. And it's, you know, we've got great weather. We've got a great old city and it's beautiful. Well, I'm going to come visit you one day when this is all over, my friend. Uh, sure. I love it. Thank you so much, Felix. Obviously. I loved it. Thank you so much. Segment break. That is a wrap for episode number nine. This was Apocalypse Sports Radio. Thank you to Felix Hasselsteiner, Daniel Rappaport, Spike Friedman. Thank to you all for listening. That was a lot of fun. And I hope you stay tuned. We've got John Feinstein coming on later this week. That should be up Friday. Hey, if you like this, tell a friend, shout it out. Tell everybody you know. You know you can always listen on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And that's all I got for now, folks. Have a great one. Goodbye. Goodbye.